Chapter 11 of Hereditary Genius by Francis Galton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 11 Men of Science. My choice of men of science, like that of the men of literature, may seem capricious. They were both governed to some extent by similar considerations, and therefore the preface to my last chapter is a great degree applicable to this. There is yet another special difficulty in the selection of a satisfactory first class of scientific men. The fact of a person's name being associated with some one striking scientific discovery helps enormously, but often unduly, to prolong his reputation to after ages. It is notorious that the same discovery is frequently made simultaneously and quite independently by different persons, thus to speak of only a few cases in late years the discoveries of photography, of electric telegraphy, and of the planet Neptune, through theoretical calculations, have all their rival claimants. It would seem that discoveries are usually made when the time is ripe for them, that is to say when the ideas from which they naturally flow are fermenting in the minds of many men. When apples are ripe, a trifling event suffices to decide which of them shall first drop off its stalk. So a small accident will often determine the scientific man who shall first make and publish a new discovery. There are many persons who have contributed vast numbers of original memoirs, all of them of some, many of great, but none of extraordinary importance. These men have the capacity of making a striking discovery, though they had not the luck to do so. Their work is valuable and remains, but the worker is forgotten. Nay, some eminently scientific men have shown their original powers by little more than a continuous flow of helpful suggestions and criticisms which were individually of too little importance to be remembered in the history of science, but which, in their aggregate, formed a notable aid towards its progress. In the scanty history of the once well-known Lunar Society of the Midland Countries, of which Watt, Belton, and Darwin, with the chief notabilities, there is frequent allusion to a man of whom nothing more than the name now remains, but who had apparently very great influence on the thoughts of his contemporaries. I mean Dr. Small, or to take a more recent case, I suppose that Dr. Wewell would be generally ranked in the class uppercase G of natural ability. His intellectual energy was prodigious, his writings unceasing, and his conversational powers extraordinary. Also, few will doubt that although the range of his labours was exceedingly wide and scattered, science in one form or another was his chief pursuit. His influence on the progress of science during the earlier years of his life was, I believe, considerable, but it is impossible to specify the particulars of that influence, or so to justify our opinion that posterity will be likely to pay regard to it. Biographers will seek in vain for important discoveries in science, with which Dr. Werwell's name may hereafter be identified. Owing to these considerations, the area of my choice is greatly narrowed. I can only include those scientific men who have achieved an enduring reputation, or who are otherwise well known to the present generation. I have proceeded in my selection just as I did in the case of the literary men, namely, I have taken the most prominent names from ordinary biographical dictionaries. I now annex my usual tables. Table 1 is displayed on the page. Summary of relationships of 65 scientific men grouped into 43 families. One relation or two in family, two or three relations, or three or four in family, and four or more relations or five or more in family. And table two is also displayed on page with degrees of kinship 
name and degree and corresponding letter table one confirms all that has been already deduced from the corresponding tables in other groups but the figures in table two are exceptional we find a remarkable diminution in the numbers of uppercase f and uppercase g while uppercase s and uppercase p hold their own we also find that although the female influence on the whole is but little different from previous groups inasmuch as in the first degree one uppercase g plus five uppercase u plus eight uppercase n plus six uppercase p equals twenty kinsmen through males five lowercase g plus two lower u plus two lower n plus zero lower p equals nine females and in the second degree zero uppercase gf plus zero uppercase gb plus three uppercase us plus six uppercase ns plus three uppercase ps equals twelve kinsmen through males zero lower g upper f plus zero lower g upper b plus four lower u upper s plus zero lower n upper s plus zero lower p upper s equals four females totals thirty two through males thirteen through females yet when we examine the lists of kinsmen more closely we shall arrive at different conclusions and and we shall find the maternal influence to be unusually strong there are five lower g to one upper g and in fully eight cases out of the forty-three the mother was the abler of the two parents these are the mothers of bacon remember also his four maternal aunts of buffton condocret curvier de Alembert, forbes gregory and watt both Bertie and jesu had remarkable grandmothers the eminent relations of newton were connected with him by female links it therefore appears to be very important to success in science that a man should have an able mother i believe the reason to be that a child so circumstanced has the good fortune to be delivered from an ordinary narrowing by decent influences of home education our race is essentially slavish it is the nature of all of us to believe blindly in what we love rather than in what we think most wise we are inclined to look upon an honest unshrinking pursuit of truth as something irreverent we are indignant when others pry into our idols and criticize them with impunity just as a savage flies to arms when a missionary picks his fetish to pieces women are far more strongly influenced by these feelings than men they are blinder partisans more servile followers of custom happy are they whose mothers did not intensify their naturally slavish dispositions in childhood by the frequent use of phrases such as do not ask questions about this or that for it is wrong to doubt but who showed them by practice and teaching that inquiry may be absolutely free without being irreverent that reverence for truth is the parent of free inquiry and that indifference or insincerity in that search after truth is one of the most degrading of sins it is clear that a child brought up under the influences i have described is far more likely to succeed as a scientific man than one who was reared under the curb of dogmatic authority of two men with equal abilities the one who had a truth-loving mother would be more likely to follow the career of science while the other if bred up under extremely narrowing circumstances would become as the gifted children in china nothing better than a student and a professor of some dead literature it is i believe owing to the favourable conditions of their early training 
that an unusually large proportion of the sons of the most gifted men of science become distinguished in the same career. They have been nurtured in an atmosphere of free inquiry and observing as they grow older that myriads of problems lie on every side of them, simply waiting for some moderately capable person to take the trouble of engaging in a solution. They throw themselves with ardour into a field of labour so peculiarly tempting. It is, and has been, in truth, strangely neglected. There are hundreds of students of books for one student of nature, hundreds of commentators for one original inquirer. The field of real science is in sore want of labourers. The mass of mankind plods on with eyes fixed on the footsteps of the generations that went before, too indifferent or too fearful to raise their glances to judge for themselves whether the path on which they are travelling is the best, or to learn the conditions by which they are surrounded and affected. Hence, as regards the eminent sons of the scientific men, twenty-six in number, there are only four whose eminence was not achieved in science. These are the two political sons of Arago, himself a politician, the son of Haller, and the son of Napier. As I said before, the fathers of the ablest men in science have frequently been unscientific. Those of Cassini and Gamelin were scientific men so in a lesser degree than those of the Huens, Napier, and de Saussure, but the remainder, namely those of Bacon, Boyle, de Candolle, Galilei, and Leibniz, were either statesmen or literary men. As regards mathematicians, when we consider how many among them have been possessed of enormous natural gifts, it might have been expected that the lists of their eminent kinsmen would have been yet richer than they are. There are several mathematicians in my appendix, especially of the Bernoulli family, but the names of Pascal, Laplace, Gauss, and others of class upper G, or even upper X, are absent. We might similarly have expected that the senior wranglers of Cambridge would afford many noteworthy instances of hereditary ability shown in various careers, but speaking generally, this does not seem to be the case. I know of several instances where the senior wrangler, being eminently a man of mathematical genius, as Sir William Thompson and Mr. Archibald Smith, is related to other mathematicians or men of science, but I know a few senior wranglers whose kinsmen have been eminent in other ways. Among the exceptions are Sir John Lefebvre, whose brother is the ex-baker, Viscount Eversley, and whose son is the present vice-president of the Board of Trade, and Sir F. Pollock, the ex-chief baron, whose kinships are described in Judges. I account for the rarity of such relationships in the following manner. A man given to abstract ideas is not likely to succeed in the world unless he be particularly eminent in his particular line of intellectual effort. If the more moderately gifted relative of a great mathematician can discover laws well and good, but if he spends his days in puzzling over problems too insignificant to be of practical or theoretical import, or else too hard for him to solve, or if he simply reads what other people have written, he makes no way at all, and leaves no name behind him. There are far fewer of numerous intermediate stages between eminence and mediocrity adopted for the occupation of men who are devoted to pure abstractions than for them whose interests are of a social kind. End of chapter 11